Hey everybody, Charlie here. I just want to point out that thanks to the new sponsorship for the show, I'm moving the show over to Libsyn, which you'll hear mentioned at the end of this episode. However, I want to point out that there are now new RSS and iTunes feeds for the show. You can find the links to both in the show notes at the various sites that the show is posted on. But if you don't want to go through all that, you can subscribe to the new feed on iTunes by just looking up Superman of the Bronze Age. And due to my amazing brilliance, both feeds have the same name. But to differentiate, the old feed shows an image of a silver Superman S on a space background for the image, while the new one is a lot more colorful and is an image of Superman flying, holding a copy of Action Comics number one. Uh, also, to help, uh, for now anyway, until I can get things migrated over, this episode is only going to be the third item posted on the new feed. So that'll help. But anyway, um, I plan to add episodes to both sets of feeds until the end of October. After that, new episodes are only going to be going to the new feeds. So please make sure that if you want to subscribe to the show and not miss any episodes, that you switch over to the new feed. So having said all that, here's the show. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend. Featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast Superman Forever Radio The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton And Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Thank you for downloading episode 28 of Superman of the Bronze Age. The only podcast covering Superman's adventures from 1970 to 1986. I am your humble host, Charlie Niemeyer. And before we begin with the comics, I'd like to begin uh, by reminding you that Superman in the Bronze Age is sponsored by InStock Trades. InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperbacks, graphic novels, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship at great discount prices. An example of the savings you can receive at in-stock trades is Jimmy Olsen Adventures by Jack Kirby, Volume 2, which collects Jimmy Olsen number 142 through 148, 
plus number 150. It has a cover price of just $19.95, but is available at in-stock trades for only $12.37, which is a savings of 38%. And most orders ship within 48 hours, and orders over $50 ship for free. The show is also sponsored by My Digital Comics, an up-and-comer in the digital comics marketplace. My Digital Comics provides fans an, an affordable option for their comics and offers titles in PDF, CBZ, and page flipper formats, offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Ad House, Tomorrow's, and many more. My Digital Comics Association with DCBS and in-stock trades does more than just provide readers with an immediate opportunity to own either digital or print versions of some of their favorite titles in the format that they want. It brings them at the price points they want. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at www.mydigitalcomics.com. And now, here are a couple promos, and I'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until, well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworlds stories just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU. It is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. 
you have chills yet? All of that and more will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at Bailey's Batman Podcast.com. Okay, first up this time we have Jimmy Olsen number 142, uh, which was released on, on August 19th, 1971, with an October 1971 cover date, and it was 25 cents again, which means that there was a couple backups in the story. Uh, basically, it was a uh, Golden Age Newsboy Legion story. And that was actually pretty much it. Um, the right, uh, the story in this issue is The Man from Transylvania, written by, or actually written, penciled, and edited by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta, and the Superman and Jimmy Olsen heads were by Murphy Anderson. Now, the cover on this is by Jack Kirby and Neil Adams, and it has a great moody cover that's perfect for an issue with an October cover date. Uh, it probably would have been better if it had actually come out in October, but you know, you do what you can. Uh, I like how Adam's ink seemed to bring another, a third dimension kind of thing to Kirby's pencils, whereas by himself, Kirby's work looks kind of, well, very 2D to me sometimes. Uh, but Adam's inks seem to make it look more 3D, like, well, like, you know, current art is supposed to be. So, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but I sure wish we could have seen some interiors by this team, because I really think it's cool. We begin the story at midnight. And we see a very Kirby-esque version of a vampire and a wolfman. Uh, the vampire is searching for Laura Conway, who just so happens to be Morgan Ninja's secretary. Focusing on her, beams of power emanate from the vampire's eyes, crossing the many miles to Miss Conway's metropolis apartment. The beams hit her in the neck, leaving what appears to be bite marks while also changing her body chemistry. The next morning, Clark and Jimmy are at Miss Conway's desk demanding to see Morgan Edge, who has been successfully avoiding them since the end of the last issue. The reporters notice something is not right with Miss Conway, and when she tries to send them away with a smile, they see that she now has fangs. Suddenly, she faints, but Clark catches her, noticing the marks on her neck. Suddenly noticing the mirror behind Miss Conway's desk, Clark and Jimmy are startled to see that Miss Conway is not casting a reflection. So they lay her on a sofa in Edge's office and are about to call a doctor when a bat suddenly enters the room and transforms into Count Dragorn from Transylvania, the vampire that we saw earlier. He wishes to see Miss Miss Conway, and when Clark and Jimmy attempt to protect her, he sends them reeling with his power beams. So, picking up a plot now. Cut to a plot thread from two issues ago. We see the Newt's boys are still trying to find their way out of the tunnels under the project. Flippa-Dippa, who dives into the water to try investigating below the surface, finds an underwater door and begins working on getting it open. Back in Edge's office, Jimmy is still out cold, but Clark quickly recovers in time to hear Dragorn ask Miss Conway Conway the current whereabouts of Dabney Donovan. It turns out Miss Conway was Donovan's personal secretary at the NASA Science Research Center outside Metropolis, but she never actually met the man. She only ever transcribed notes he dictated from a tape recorder. So at this point, Clark jumps at Dragorn to tackle him, but the Count disappears in a puff of smoke. At this point, Jimmy regains consciousness while Miss Conway comes out of her trance, losing both her vampire characteristics and the neck marks. 
So that night, Jimmy and Clark drive up to the Science Research Center, which used to be a major place back in the 50s at the dawn of the space race, being used to reproduce the atmospheric conditions on other planets. When they arrive, they notice that there's no guard and the front door is, at, is uh, open. As they enter, they are attacked by the Wolfman, who springs at Clark first. Fearing for his friend's life, Jimmy uses a nearby loose steel fence post to ward off the Wolfman, but it just ticks him off and he goes after Jimmy. After a brief chase, the Wolfman pounces at, pounces at Jimmy, but ends up ramming into Superman's chest instead. Suddenly, Draghorn appears and hits the heroes with his power beams, but this time they just, bl uh, they just blind them instead of knocking them out. In any event, this gives Draghorn and the Wolfman time to disappear. Although Superman says he saw something before they disappeared that makes him think that instead of disappearing, they just got smaller. Superman and Jimmy then rush up to Donovan's office and begin searching for whatever it is that Dragorn is after. Finding a poster of a strange-looking planet, Superman uses his microscopic vision to check out the poster and sees the Blood More Destruct Date 1971 inscribed in the grains of the picture. This apparently indicates that Bloodmore Cemetery will be destroyed sometime in 1971. And you don't need to be the world's greatest detective to figure that one out. Meanwhile, below Metropolis, Flippa Dippa has decided, or has finally opened the underwater door, which apparently also extends above the water, since the other newsboys see the door open and drive their boat right through it. They exit their boat and enter a high-speed lift that takes them to another room that has a ladder. So Tommy... So Tommy climbs up the ladder and carefully opens the vent cover to see a man on a phone at the other end of the vent. The man is scared and says he plans to stay in the hideout. We then learn through the phone conversation that the man is scared because the Guardian has been spotted in Metropolis, which means Jim Harper is alive. But that can't be possible because he's the man who shot and killed Jim Harper. <laughs> up above... Superman and Jimmy arrive at Bloodmore Cemetery and head for the mausoleum. The mausoleum is closed in by a stone wall, so heavy that it would take 40 men to move it, unless you were very, very small and could go under it. Or you were an alien from the planet Krypton who gained power thanks to the uh, yellow sun. You know. Uh, so Superman then theorizes that Donovan wanted to simulate cosmic matter on a very small scale. So he then enters a, so they then enter a large room to see a small planet. The planet Transylvania. And that's where we end that issue. And uh, I actually thought this was a pretty solid issue. Uh, per, for the most part, the story made sense. Uh, there wasn't there weren't any huge loopholes like we've seen before. Got a cliffhanger ending to both of the plots running through the issue, and even got to pick up on the newsboys without them being, you know, annoying. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking Kirby is starting to get a real handle on all the characters, and it's really starting to show. Um, also, I think this is the first time we get Miss Conway's name, uh, but she makes an appearance quite a bit during the Bronze Age, and it's hard for me to refer to her as anything but Miss Conway. Uh, also, the art was great. Uh, I liked how Kirby only subtly changed Miss Conway's facial features during her vampir vampirism, and yet it was all still no uh, easily noticeable. And I don't know if it's just something that um, I get used to, or maybe he's actually doing a little better, but Anderson's inks on Superman and Jimmy's heads are less jarring now. Uh, in fact, in a couple of instances, it looked like 
Anderson was actually keeping some of Kirby's features, but just softened them up a bit. Also, this is the first mention of Dabney Donovan, who, I'm going to spoil this for you, we don't actually see during the uh, Kirby's run on Jimmy Olsen, but he is an, that is a name that becomes very important in the Superman mythos post-crisis, dealing with both Cat, the Cadmus Project, which is, of course, the post-crisis version of this project, uh, and also dealing uh, later on in the Superman projects, especially in the early to mid-90s, where you have uh, the Underworlders and Lex Luthor Jr. and also the whole War for Metropolis and Battle for Metropolis that we see in the mid-90s. So this is definitely a big deal, although, again, we don't really get to see him. So that's all I have to say about that one, really. Uh, so play a couple more promos and we'll get into the next issue. After these messages, we'll be right back. The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era. Filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com all right next issue is jimmy olsen number 143 cover dated november 1971 released september 7th 1971 just in time for the kids to go back to school with a nice 25 cent cover price so this will knock you back a quarter uh the title of this story is the 
Well, actually, before I talked about the title, let's cover, talk about the cover. The cover on this, the only credits I could find were Jack Kirby, oh, just Jack Kirby. Uh, and it doesn't look like Neil Adams inked it, uh, but it still retains the Kirby look. I love this cover. Uh, the colors are great. The negative effect that uh, is used on the monsters is pretty cool. And it still has Jimmy and Superman in it without being fixed, I guess you could say. The only problem is that there's a little red box near the center. And that box being there normally would be fine, but after all the stuff from the past issues in which they use different fonts to help sell the whole new, daring, different direction, it's just a really boring, plain font. And it would have been cool to use some of the really neat uh, kind of fonts that they've been trying to use to show, like the more psychedelic, modern, for the time anyway, uh, artistic styles. But in any event, uh, the title of this story is The Genocide Spray, written, penciled, and edited by Jack Kirby, and inked by Vinnie Coletta, with Superman and Jimmy Heads inked by Murphy Anderson. So, picking up from last issue, we see Jimmy and Superman are in front of a crypt, or no they're not, we see Superman and Jimmy in a crypt underneath the Bloodmore Cemetery, and are still staring in awe at the small planet that is hidden there. Orbiting about the planet are what appear to be projectors that are projecting images down on the planet, which may in some way have something to do with why we saw a vampire and a wolfman last issue. Investigating a strange-looking statue, Superman notices that moving its arm causes a door to open. Inside, we have two coffins. Sliding open the first one, we see Count Draghorn sleeping. Uh, this makes no sense to Jimmy, since it is still the middle of the night. Based on some of the gadgetry in the coffin, Superman guesses that the coffins are actually decompression chambers. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Superman's been doing a lot of theorizing. More on that later. Uh, just as Jimmy and Superman are about to open the next coffin, they are attacked by the Wolfman. While Superman is dealing with the, with the Wolfman, Jimmy is attacked by Frankenstein's monster. S Superman throws the Wolfman at the monster, knocking them both out cold. Unfortunately, Dracorn has awakened and uses a microbomb to knock out both of our heroes. Meanwhile, in a secret hideout, the newsboys are sneaking up on the man who just confessed to killing Jim Harper. Taking him by surprise, they grab him, his gun, and the phone, which causes the mysterious person on the other end of the line to hang up. Using an incredible amount of strength, the, kitty, the baddie kicks the table in front of him, which not only splinters the table, but throws off all the newsboys at the same time. He then runs down a hall, only to be confronted by a large bomb with a video screen. On that screen is Morgan Edge, telling the baddie that Intergang is canceling his contract. This is, of course, followed by a large explosion. Superman wakes up from his explosion, surrounded by her previous monsters, plus a guy who looks like the mummy, and a woman who looks like a female vampire. Superman has been tied up to the rack, and its spikes are being lowered towards him in an effort to get him to reveal Dabney Donovan's current whereabouts. So Superman can see this is leading nowhere, and especially because he doesn't know. He breaks free, destroying the rack in the process. The monster people now begin talking of the end of the world, which, according to the picture prophecy, would occur when the demon dog flies. Superman is about to get them to calm down and work with him to figure out where Donovan could be but is interrupted by a loud bell, which is the signal that the demon dog is about to take flight. At this point, Superman finally notices a faint hum of machinery being picked up by a super hearing. 
machinery which is not visible in the stony crypt but is also a noise that doesn't make sense in a stony crypt so searching around quickly he finds a seam in the rock and begins to dig in back in the secret underground hideout the newsboys quickly recover from the explosion to find that the mysterious murderer died at this point yeah, at that point, Scrapper suddenly remembers that he still had the little Scrapper Trooper in his pocket. He turns out to be okay and points to a vent in the ceiling. Climbing through, the newsboys find that they have finally made it to the surface and are right in the middle of a street with traffic, in the middle of Suicide Slum. At the crypt, Superman has peeled back a layer of stone to find a high-tech complex under the, under the crypt. Quickly coming upon some giant steel doors, Superman knocks them down just in time to have the demon dog fly by. Superman chases it down just as it begins to release a genocide spray at Transylvania. Hey, I just used the title of the story. Superman stops it with a quick chop to the mouth. Cut to a little bit later as Jimmy Olsen finally awakens. Following the light from the techno complex below, he soon finds Superman. Superman shows him a complex-looking microscope and explains to Jimmy that the coffins are similar to the Apollo capsules, except that the coffins also compact their atomic structures so that the occupants will be a more manageable size on Transylvania. Superman also discovers that the aliens who actually have a fluid, atom, or a fluid atomic base look like monsters because they copied the images being projected onto Transylvania by Dabney Donovan using those cameras that we saw earlier. Superman, in an effort to help the aliens, went through Dav, uh, Donovan's films to find something a little more appealing to, for the aliens, which turns, turns out to be musical Oklahoma, which is now being projected down onto the planet, which is weird. Um, and that's how that story ends. So uh, we get another solid issue from Jack Kirby, well, in my opinion, anyway. Again, it's not really much problems with it. The only thing is, which, I, which is something I pointed out, is that we have Superman making a lot of theories, and I'm thinking that this is because Jack had a lot of things he wanted to put in the story but didn't have room for it, and couldn't think of another quick way to have him explain, so he had Superman theorize things, which explained it so that we would understand, but it still sounds like a guess so like, technically i guess you're not completely sure if superman's right but he sure seems to be every single time and um beyond that I, um i just thought it was a good fun issue the art is really good uh again kirby's getting a good handle on both drawing and writing the characters and the art has finally stabilized, so we're at we're no longer getting the uh, rushed, screwy proportion art we were getting at the beginning. We're actually getting good quality art, which is amazing considering he's got three or four other books actually coming out at the same time. So, Kirby's the man. Uh, and also, we get to see Morgan Edge being a dirty rat bastard again, uh, basically by just coldly telling the uh, coldly telling the guy via video that his contact is expired and kills him. So I guess we now know that this that Morgan Edge is isn't just in league with Intergang, he apparently is part of Intergang. Well no, we already knew that. Yeah, so we get to see Morgan Edge being more uh, even well, being really evil again. And now by this point, um I should also point out that we have seen 
in one or two stories that there is a mysterious man in Morgan Edge's office. So we know that there's something going on with Morgan Edge. The question is, what is going on? And it's also rather evil, so wondering how much longer it's going to go on. So things are starting to play out. Um, we're starting to see stuff in other books. Now, those haven't been mentioned here, so I'm not sure if it was something that they decided they had a, you know, they also wanted to work on as far as uh, something else, a different way they wanted to go with the Morgan Edge story. But it could also be just the way it worked out. In any event, we do get the fact that there is someone hidden in Morgan Edge. So there's more mystery to Morgan Edge than him just being a bad guy. So in any event, that's really cool. Also, I do want to point out that both of the stories in this issue were reprinted twice, both in Jimmy Olsen, Adventures by Jack Kirby, Volume 1, 2003, and Jack Kirby's Fourth World, Omnibus, Volume 1, hardcover from 2007. And if the current uh, Diamond, well, if the current solicitations for DC Comics is correct, it looks like in October we're going to see the first trade paperback version of that fourth world omnibus coming out so it'll be a cheaper way to check out these stories so that'll be cool all right well this is our last look at jimmy at jack kirby's run on superman's pal jimmy olsen uh this is because we've pretty much seen the last of morgan edge until after kirby has left the book uh now for a quick summary of what happens next i'm going to try to do it real quick for you uh so jimmy and the newsboys get a mission to scotland to investigate a well, a mission a store, uh, they get an assignment to Scotland to investigate a monster in Loch Trevor. This leads them to meet Angry Charlie and being and to be attacked by Intergang, which then leads them to discover the Eagle, the Eagle fact, Evil Factory. Meanwhile, in Metropolis, Superman and Guardian are invited to a disco featuring the Five Strings, but this band turns out to have apocalyptic connections, which eventually leads to uh, a being named. Magnar of New Genesis to show up and inadvertently send Superman to Supertown. Back in Scotland, Jimmy gets turned into a Neanderthal by Simeon and Mokari, but he and the newsboys still end up destroying the evil factory. Ten days later, they all head back to the USA but come across Victor Volcanum, who takes them and traps them in a cage inside an active volcano. Back in Supertown, Superman seriously considers staying until Highfather reminds him that he's needed on Earth, and sends him to where he's needed the most, which, coincidentally, happens to be inside the same volcano that Jimmy and the Newsboys are in. After freeing them, they all learn that Volcanum is planning to take over the Earth, so the heroes go after him. But just before they can succeed in stopping him, Volcanum activates the self-destruct on his gondola fortress, ending his threat. Kirby's final scene is of all of our heroes flying to, flying east, with Metropolis visible in the horizon. Now there's a lot more excitement and fun to be seen in these issues, so I encourage you to check them out. Uh, you can also check out my reviews for these issues over at Superman homepage in the classic pre-crisis reviews section. So, if you want to see those. Now next episode, I'm going to be switching back to the main Superman books with a cover date of August 1972, before coming back to the Morgan Edge story in Superman's Girlfriend, Lo Lois Lane, issues number 118 and 119. That's right, folks. We're almost finished with this Morgan Edge story, and we're only going to need like two more episodes to cover, finish it. So, 
Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. And now, here's Angie. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where new episodes are posted weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.lipson.com and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to this show via RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications.